Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the composer and singer-songwriter Duncan Sheik. Ever since the 2007 Tony winner Spring Awakening, the musical Sheik co-wrote with the book writer and lyricist Stephen Sater, Sheik has worked on a steady stream of new musical projects, including The Nightingale, American Psycho, Because of Winn-Dixie, and many more. We've seen a number of them in New York just in the last year or so, including Alice by Heart, his World War II Alice in Wonderland tale that reunited him with Sater, The Secret Life of Bees, based on the novel in an adaptation he co-wrote with Lynn Nottage, and his latest, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, adapted with Jonathan Mark Sherman and Amanda Green, and now having its world premiere production with a new group off-Broadway. A bit later this spring, he's got another new musical, Whisper House, on tap. Sheik's in the studio with me to talk music genres, writing in his own voice, and the Buddhist mafia. Hi, Duncan. Thanks for joining me. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we talk specifically about Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, Mm. I wanted to just ask about kind of what guides you as you choose the projects that you work Mm. on. Because I feel like you're, um, the the sort of breadth of your work includes like, you know, really wacky, artsy Spring Awakening type Mm. stuff. And then it's got like dark, edgy American Psycho. Mm. And then it's got a heartwarmer starring a dog, right? With uh, Winn-Dixie. And then uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice is not necessarily a... um, a natural thought to be musicalized. Sure. Um, what What is it that gets you excited about working on a project and how do you choose that? Well, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that because, you know, as a composer, of course, you, you want to have your own kind of singular voice and, and you want that to kind of come through with any project that you're working on. But one of the ways to keep things fresh and interesting is to, for me anyway, is to kind of explore... Um, different genres and different musical worlds, and and so in a 
in a funny way, a lot of these things that I've been doing lately are exercises in genre. Mm. Um, you know, certainly in the case of, um, you know, because of Winn-Dixie, it's this sort of, you know, kind of down-home, folksy mix of Americana styles. And, and you know, with, with Secret Life of Bees, in a similar but different way, it was just sort of a mix of, of, of kind of white Americana styles and then sort of black music, um, this sort of, sort of syncretic black music of um, of the Gullah and Geechee people, you know. Um, in, in the case of Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice, obviously I'm trafficking in this sort of late 60s back rack. Um, you know, people mentioned Michelle Legrand. I don't know. I guess, it's not like an influence that I would put at the top of my list, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, recently I've been working on shows. I'm doing a show called Noir that sort of has a film noir um, right aspect to it so yeah so in a way like working in these different genres um it keeps things fresh and exciting and so you know you know chord progression is a chord progression it's like it's (laughs) going to be it's going to be two or four or six or eight chords or whatever it is and and then the way to kind of make that interesting is to maybe dress it up in different clothing um and uh and that's sort of the fun of it for me. Certainly with American Psycho, like I was just going through a big electronic music kick, and that's, in, and that's in large part the music I grew up with. So being able to just play with Ableton and analog synthesizers all day was really fun. Right. It, was there is there a genre that you have explored through the course of your work on these musicals that you've suddenly thought, oh, I might like to write for myself in this genre, or yeah, well, certainly as the electronic music side of things um, became, you know, what I was doing really for the last six or seven years. And in my last record, Ledger Domain, was a lot, was sort of half more overtly electronic music and then half music that was more maybe acoustic and thoughtful, but it had a lot of electronic stuff interweaved within it. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, it definitely filters into all aspects of my work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was it about, was it specifically the, um, the era of Bob and Carolyn Ted and Alice that got you interested or in part? Yeah. I mean, again, I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with the movie beyond knowing the iconic movie poster when sure. this, when this idea was floated towards me and then by who, actually. um, well, it was really, there was a conversation going on with a lot of people, but Scott Elliott and I were part of this conversation. Scott Elliott is the director. The director of the show. Yet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was like a kind of like a, a two year conversation. And then we finally got to work on it in earnest, I would say 2016, 2017. And that's when most of the songs were written. It was pretty quick, actually. Yes. For very quick. Turnaround. For, for... Very quick for a musical. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I watched the movie and spent a lot of time with the movie. I watched the movie many times. And I and I did, at first, as with many projects, I'm like, I really don't see how this is going to be a musical, but, you know, let's, let's keep talking about it. And um, then Jonathan Mark Sherman got involved and... He's the book writer and also the, a playwright. He's the book writer and playwright. And a lovely guy. Um, he has a really intense mustache these days. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, we kind of, we found some places where songs might happen. And uh, and then I just, I... Was that hard? Was it unusually difficult well, okay, for that particular yeah, film? Let me back up for a minute. Yeah. I, one of the things I liked about the movie is that um, it, it 
it wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all. It's this almost sort of documentary, uh, sort of neo-realist film about, you know, bourgeois people in late 60s L.A. And they're kind of, they're, they're trying to contend with, you know, the summer of love. And they're trying to sort of get with it. And they're just maybe a little bit past it in some, in some level. Right. And their, you know, core values are, are such that they they can't really stretch as far as they might want to. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a big fan of like Antonioni and these are neo-realist kind of Italian filmmakers. And there was something about the Mazursky movie that reminded me of some of those films. Um, and just the sort of the, you know, again, the just the authenticity and the realism of it. Uh, I mean, and yeah, there's a little bit of sort of um, late '60s kind of broad humor and I guess campiness, for lack of a better. But there's way less of it than you think right. there's going to be, given the the iconic movie poster. Um, and so that was intriguing. And you know, def- I, Scott and I talked a lot about what's what's interesting about the movie and hopefully will be about the musical is that it's really about human connection and authentic human connection and, and, you know, discovering what that is. And um, I think it's something that we, you know, we're in short supply of these days, you know, when everyone's dating off of their phone, you know, or, I mean, I, I, I guess lucky enough to have sort of missed that, missed that phenomenon, but I sort of, you know, it's nice to see people just having really intense face-to-face conversations without them being mediated by technology. I mean, they might be mediated by a joint or something. (laughs) (laughs) And there is, there's something in the concept of the show that, uh, kind of include the includes the audience in the face-to-face sort of yes. mediated. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that and how that works. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I, I don't want to give it away, but right. there are three or four moments in the show where some some folks are politely invited on stage um, to be, you know, part of an encounter group or, you know, there's some dancing that happens. There's some flirting that happens. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, Again, I'm one of those people who normally really cringes at that stuff, but it's handled in a delicate way that, and I and I think it it's it's a lot of fun and people appreciate it, and um, it's it's well done, I think. And it sort of fits in with the theme of the piece, as you were saying, right? About yeah, sort of connecting with people and all. Exactly, and there's, I mean, you know, I do think like the movie the 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 show ends on this kind of this lovely moment of of the actors and some of the audience members sort of like dancing together sort of one you know group of of humanity kind of coming together you know and and loving each other you know in a maybe platonic way so, um and which is interesting because to bring up the Suzanne Vega of it, I worked with her for a long time on this Carson McCullers right. show, and that was sort of the theme of that show as well. I just have to tell you right here that it was such a pleasure to be able to see Suzanne Vega live on stage. Yeah. She's been uh, very important to me over the years. So yeah. uh, seeing her on stage and singing some really catchy music was yeah. Uh, really yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, she's been really important to me too. I mean, I was a fan of hers when I was in high school, but then we became we became friendly because we're both practicing Buddhists and, and, um, and when I was on tour for my first record, we, you know, she was touring as well and we kind of became well acquainted at that time. And then since that time we've, we've shared many musicians and we've toured together extensively. Um, so, you know, she's a, she's a great person and, 
a distinctive voice, and I'm really glad she's in the show. And well, actually, let's talk a little bit about that role in particular. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the uh, kind of a narrator, band leader. Yes. Sort of, like, what was the? Were you going to play that role? Initially? I was. Did I read that? Yeah, I was. yeah. initially I was going to do it, and then you know, I just I just had a baby. Well, I have a 13 month old Inez at home, and. And it really became too tricky for me to juggle, like, being the composer and being the co-lyricist and being at an eight hours of rehearsal every day. It just wasn't – it wasn't going to be realistic. So um, we, you know, we asked Suze if she would consider it, and thankfully she did. And was it important – because you could have you asked – you know, a musical theater performer, right. a more sort of traditional musical theater performer to do that role. Was it important to you that the role is played by someone who is a, a, kind of a musician or a, a singer-songwriter? Singer yeah. I, I think that that does give it um, a, its own distinctive quality. And there's not a ton of acting in that role. I mean, the person's obviously on stage the whole time. Yeah. But but it's, um, it's more about having somebody who's, yeah, an omniscient observer of things who kind of... In, occasionally is is there in a scene in a in a kind of sort of mystical way <laughs> yeah. yeah um and you've started to talk about this a little bit but what uh, what else specifically can you tell us about how you think this story um looking at this story now bob and carolyn tenalis uh how that plays and what it sort of resonates with here in 2020 when so many things have sort of changed since then mm-hmm. and also some things you know haven't and what yeah. is it that you feel like we we as people living in 2020 get from the story. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, I, it's funny. People always talk about like, well, you know, why is this relevant now? And I sometimes like scratch my head and go, well, does it need to be relevant now? Like it can be like a time capsule, which I'm not saying it necessarily is, but I mean, you know, art can be many different things. So, but I do think, you know, there was a conversation that was, that you saw a lot in newspapers and magazines over the course of the past, I don't know, decade about polyamory, you know, and, and so this is, this was, I think in some way, you know, 1969 was the first culturally approved, um, kind of foray into people behaving in that way. Mm -hmm. That was like the, you know, before in the, you know, even in the early sixties, that kind of behavior was really kept under, under wraps. I mean, it happened, but it wasn't like something that you talked about, you know? Um, so, so I think that's, that's where there is some connection to the now of everything. Um, and it's really, you know, the connection to me is that these people, because of the times, they, they behave very differently towards each other than people do today. You know, the interactions are way more earnest and heartfelt and that's moving to me. Mm. Was it easy? Is this a style that was easy for you to write in? Sort of. I mean, I, again, I had to like, I, I, I spent a lot of time like listening to various pop music of the late sixties thing, you know, but more random things like the fifth dimension and, you know, the association. And of course there's a back rack thing going on in it. Um, um, because he was, you know, so great and, and ubiquitous. Um, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it is something that I, that I love and I was born in 1969. So I think that that's the music of my very, very, very early childhood. And so there's something that imprinted on me, those kind of big, um, very white vocal harmonies, like in a pop song, um, you know, to put it bluntly, it was like, they're trying to be funky, but they're not so funky. <laughs> 
Um, and and you know, and there's there's this thing about this really lush harmonic palette that that I that I'm into, and and there's a kind of a connection to kind of sophisticated European music in some way, not classical music, but like European pop music, you know. So that stuff sort of interests me, um, and just playing with those colors, those sound colors of, you know, Farfisa organs and, and those kind of, you know, they're like fake string sounds, but they, they have a very particular kind of, you know, Mellotrons and, and Chamberlains and things like that. Yeah. And what was the hardest element of the story to make work uh, in a musical, did you find? Well, you know, um, Sherm's book actually hues pretty closely to the screenplay and in in some places you know very much on purpose he sort of takes chunks of the screenplay and and the actors do them so so that in a funny way that all fell into place pretty naturally there wasn't a lot of jiggery pokery once we decided where the songs were happening and what the songs were um they, they landed there and there wasn't much movement after that i mean we did it we did an early workshop of it um, maybe a year and a half, two years ago with it, with a different cast. And we actually had more, we had the four leads and we had four background singers. And, and so it was even more of like a big lush vocal arrangement thing. But, um, um, but it, it hasn't really changed too much since then. Um, We've, seen a couple of other musicals you've worked on um, here in New York, uh, mm. particularly in the last year. It seems, feels like there's mm. always a new Junk and Cheek show happening in New York these days. Um, <laughs> one of them was... Uh, I'm Alice not Fox. quite sure how to respond to that. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Um, w- uh, one of them was Alice by Heart, yes. uh, which is being turned into a YA no- has been turned into a YA novel that yes. uh, Stephen Sater, your collaborator... Yeah. In uh, fact, on. the book came out yesterday along with mm. Bob, the same time as the opening of Bob Carroll and Ted Nallis, mm. coincidentally. Yeah. yeah. And um, what, and you've worked with Stephen on a, a number of shows, obviously, yes. including Spring Awakening and the Nightingale and yes. Alice by Heart and all those things. What makes him a good collaborator for you? What is it about um, working with him? Well, at, at the risk of fits. sounding like I'm part of some Buddhist mafia, Stephen is also a Buddhist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's how we met. And, um, you know, I just think he's a brilliant writer and a brilliant lyricist and a very unique writer and lyricist and and um he you know i think you know writing with him um it does it does bring out something um um very deep and and powerful and poetic and mystical and there's just something really great about it he's just a completely different lyricist to anybody that i've ever worked with in in a good way um so i you know i think we just have this this connection in terms of what we're interested in artistically and we you know we're working on an adaptation of this um little belgian movie ma vie en rose um which is about a um a, a young trans um uh, you know, a, a boy who wants to become a, a girl in in sort of '90s Belgium, um, and it was made in the '90s. It was I made recall, in the right. 90s, I saw yeah, it years, yeah. years and years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. so we so we're always working on something. Um, in you know, and, and and musicals tend to take way more development than Bob Carroll, Ted, and Alice. So you know, um, so we're you know we have a bunch of things that are always kind of in some process. How do you? Is it a conversation between the kind of stories that the two of you tell, or well, in the case of Stephen and I, generally, 
those are projects that we've self-generated in some way. And and usually it's Stephen coming up with an idea and saying, does this sound interesting to you? And then we have lots of conversations about it, and then we jump in and start writing it. So, you know, we did a, we've written a show about Nero that's really it's really only ever been workshopped in its current form, um, but hopefully one day it'll have a life, and, and the Nightingale hopefully will have another life. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to make a, a record of the sort of the best of the Nightingale songs, mm-hmm. just because I, I, I'm, I'm sad that that, that that show didn't get as much a, a, um, attention as it deserved. Mm-hmm. So I might work on that. And yeah, and then, you know, Spring Awakening is, you know, I mean, it's just, we're going to be doing it at the Almeida in London um, this summer, and, you know, hopefully it will be come a movie soon after that. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're always working on something. What is it like to revisit Spring Awakening? You know, like we, we saw it here on Broadway with the Deaf West production. And yeah. And you're going to do it at the Almeida. Yeah. Well, it's great. I mean, you know, Rupert Gould is, um, a, you know, I think he's an amazing director and he's a really a great guy and I, I love working with him and I love the Almeida and so it's really exciting that was where American Psycho yeah ha, yeah mm-hmm. where it was born um, but yeah I mean I'm just I'm at this point I'm just sort of intrigued by what he's gonna do with it because it's it's lived enough of a life that it can now sort of take on different forms and you don't have to be as kind of slavish to the original not not that the Deaf West production was I mean it was its own thing and now hopefully Rupert will do something yet again different um, and that's you know I'm sure it'll be really cool and intellectual and and, diff- and just out there so I can't wait to see what he does with it I'll have more with Duncan right after the break Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now, here's more with composer Duncan Cheek. When do you... Because you co-wrote the lyrics on Bob and Carolyn Ted Niles with Amanda Green. Yes. Um, and when do you decide to work on lyrics and not? Is it just basically... Well, in, in, in fact, um, I mean, I don't want to tell any tales, but initially I just signed up to be just the composer. Mm-hmm. And then um, there were some people that were going to work on lyrics and it didn't work out. And then Scott was like, why don't you just write the lyrics? And I was like, uh, okay. And then I, you know, and then I was, all of a sudden I was the the composer lyricist. And then all of a sudden I was like in the show and then I was like, no, this is too much. <laughs> so, so in fact, you know, I wrote those lyrics, I would say in some way they were sort of a first draft and then Amanda came on and, and um, kind of honed some stuff and, and, you know, changed some stuff and actually rewrote entirely one of the songs and which was a good thing, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's next for Alice by Heart that becomes a book and will it, what yeah. other future life? I mean, have? that in, in a funny way, I, I really, 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 that show means a lot to me. And I Why? loved, I, well, I just loved what Jesse Nelson did in that piece. And I love what the Cooperman brothers did with their choreography. And mm-hmm. I loved the whole, 
I mean, that was a show that, you know, even after it opened, I would just go and see it, you know, like over and over again because I just loved it so much and that amazing cast. And I, and I just feel like, oh, it did, didn't quite get its due. And so there's, you know, there's some discussions about maybe also bringing that to London and maybe doing it as a site-specific mm-hmm. piece, like in the yeah. underground, yeah. something like that. So, that um cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm fingers crossed, you know, and I'm really proud of that cast album. Um, so that you know, at least lives in on in posterity, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens with and, it. And does Secret Life of Bees, another show of yours that we uh, yeah. So that's about? definitely you know on deck, and and yeah. coincidentally, I probably shouldn't even say this, but also maybe doing it at the Almeida next year, oh. next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think you know with that show. Um, we want to not reinvent it at all, but we want to do some work on it, do another kind of, you know, off Broadway, off West End production, and then see if, you know, if it's ready for prime time, so to speak. Right. Um, but I, I have high hopes for right. that. Yeah. And in addition to all of that, you've got a show playing, another show playing this spring in New York. Yeah, I know. Uh, Whisper sorry. House. Yeah. You, um, you're really spoiled for choice yeah. here with Duncan <laughs> Cheek musicals. But yeah, Whisper House is being done by the civilians. Um, Steve Cosson directing. Um, that's with my friend Kyle Jarrow. And yeah, uh, Kyle Jarrow, who is a writer who wrote the SpongeBob musical. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. And so that I'm ex- really excited because Steve is a very cool director. And, um, and how did Whisper House come about? The civilians well, are mostly do documentary. Yeah. I mean, theater. I think, you know, Steve just wanted to do a, mm. a like a small musical, a chamber musical. Mm. Um, and this is a ghost story. And this is a ghost story. Right. So another genre, mm. um, another feather in my genre cap. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just something that we, we did it initially at the Old Globe in San Diego. And then there was a, a production at the other palace in London a couple of years ago. Um, um, you know, both of which were, I think they had great qualities about them, but maybe let's just say I'm, I'm really excited to see what mm-hmm. Steve does with this one. And, um, it's even more of a chamber musical this time because it's not, it's not like, big rock guitars and drums and bass. It's sort of more focused on the acoustic instruments and the horn and wind arrangements. Um, so, I mean, I, again, like Bob Carroll, Ted Nallis is also very intimate sounding. So I might get in trouble for doing these sort of more quiet <laughs> musicals, mm. but it's, it's, you know, I have to say, I'm sort of like, I feel like maybe I, I helped create a monster with Spring Awakening where like every musical is like so loud now. And, there's, and, <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I'm sort of interested in things being a little more, um, you know, where you can hear the, the specifics of sonically what's going on. It seemed just based on your output it, and all the show, you know, you're always mentioning another show that you're working. It seems like you spend the majority of your time working on musical theater. I know. Is that right? I, it, well, maybe, yeah. I mean, lately, certainly. And I'm feeling um, not weird about that, but mm. just like feeling, really feeling like I need to spend some time just writing songs for, you know, Duncan Sheik songs for lack of, for, for, right. for a record. And I did actually start doing that in earnest, you know, this, this year. And I, and I sort of wrote the first song of what will hopefully be a batch of 10 or 12 songs. And then I, and, and, you know, because I had Inez, um, my wife and I have this beautiful daughter, I actually wrote, um, a, a kid's album. And so, and, and so (laughs) 
<laughs> so that that I need to actually finish recording that, and hopefully that will see the light of day this year as well. What? How do you think of those two parts of your sort of compositional work fitting together? Well, they're they're different in a good way. I mean, what's great about working in the theater is that there is this narrative and this story that you're hopefully helping to tell. Although I don't really like to to forward plot in any of my songs, so I get in trouble for that. But <laughs> so be it. Um, but but you know you're part of you're you're part of the fabric of of, of the storytelling. Um, and, and why don't you like wait i, I want i, I want to <laughs> ask what do you why do you object it's just a, i think of music much more the way people think of songs in in film or tv where you know like if you if you're watching peaky blinders you know and then you hear a pj harvey song or radiohead song right. and it just fits the vibe and the mood of the moment and obviously pj harvey and tom york didn't write that song for peaky for blinders moment, right. it just happens to be really cool and it fits so i like there to be a sort of remove mm. Um, in some way where the song is not necessarily just commenting, but you're understanding something about the inner life of the character maybe. And you're just, um, and it's just sort of amplifying what's happened, what's, what's happening in the story Mm -hmm. at that moment. Right. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You were talking about the balance, uh, between uh, working on, working on the music theater stuff. Yeah. And then, then, uh, you know, stuff, you know, the, my normal music business, business career, mm -hmm. so to speak, which is like a, total triple oxymoron um i uh yeah i mean i i obviously i still love making records and i and i love touring and it's been too long since i've been been touring so i'm sort of itching to do that again but i want to have a set of new material in in order to do that so um yeah i mean what what's great about just writing a song is that it exists sort of on its own it doesn't have your you you know, it doesn't need to help tell a story. It doesn't need to do anything other than just be a great song. And it can be completely sort of personal. Like if I'm writing something for American Psycho, I'm writing from the perspective of Patrick Bateman or or his cohorts or, you know, um, or his secretary, you know, and that's a very different process. Um, so, you know, I, I have things to say myself, <laughs> people, and I'm going to th- write them and say them, doggone it. <laughs> when, when did you first start to become interested in musical theater? Because for, I mean, those of us who are my age, we've, mm. I first encountered your work as a singer-songwriter, then yeah. as a musical theater writer. Sure. When did that? It was, I, I don't, I don't want to say by accident because it's become such a huge part of my life and, and, and a, and a great part of my life and something that I really, something that I treasure. Um, but it was, it was not something I was trying to do. It was not something I was looking to do. Um, and it's, you know, it's really Stephen Sater's fault, um, (laughs) that, that this even began at all. Um, and, you know, I did musical theater as a kid. I mean, I, I was in shows the way you are and in, um, you know, I was the Artful Dodger and Oliver and all that kind of stuff. But but very quickly after I was, like when I was 13, 14, 15, I just wanted to be in bands or I just wanted to record, you know, um, rock songs or pop music or whatever you want to, you know, the, right. whatever genre you want to call what I do. Um, and, uh, and, and it took me sort of 20 years um, to sort of come back to the idea of, 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 of doing musical theater. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, Stephen gave me the 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 
Ted Hughes translation of um, of Spring Awakening and said, you know, let's adapt this as a musical. And I was like, ooh, that sounds like a terrible idea. You know, <laughs> I mean, I got to tell you, before I saw Spring Awakening, I thought that's the worst idea anyone's ever had, you're, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not alone. We're, we're, none of us are alone. Yeah. You know, Liev Schreiber told me, like, he looked at me like I was completely out of my mind. Like, <laughs> we had a really funny conversation about it. And then, like, seven years later, he apologized. He's like, well, I guess I was wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, I mean, that, that sort of began this... Um, you know this sort of begrudging love affair that I that I have with with musical theater, and it is a you know I will admit that it's it's a it's the most difficult genre in which to create art because you it, you have to it incorporates like literally every single medium, and then you have to get it right in some mystical way that you can't. It's just if it works, it's an accident. You know, it's the you just there's no rhyme or reason to when something kind of comes together and it's magic, and that's sort of the fun of it, and that's the in a way the tragedy of it because no matter how hard you work on something, you never know if it's going to really come together. Um, and and then sometimes you work on something and you don't think that much of it, and it's like it just clicks. So there's there's like a surprise element to, to making musicals, but it's a long it's like a long gestating surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what have you got coming up? What is we've got all these shows this year, yeah. and then what what's next for you after? Well, so, so as I said, um, we've got Whisper House coming yeah. with the civilians, and then um, I'm doing a workshop of uh, Mavion Rose. Um, so you know, we're doing that with Lee Silverman. Hopefully. Great. That will find a, a home soon. And then I'm doing, also with Kyle Jarrow, I wrote a show called Noir, which right. I mentioned to you before. And uh, we're going to do that at the Alley Theater in Houston. Oh, yeah. um, and who's next, directing that? Um, uh, Darko Trezak. Oh, yeah. Cool. Because Rachel Chavkin directed a version she, of that, she did. Or maybe just a workshop. She did, like, and beautifully, but she got very busy. Sure, yes. Um, <laughs> and... and she made some wise decisions sure. to work on some very wonderful shows. So she just kind of got too busy and we amicably parted ways. Yeah. And luckily Darko is really into film noir. So it mm-hmm. became a good fit. Um, and the, and I've worked at the alley before with Suzanne Vega. So that's exciting. That was on the Carson McCullough show. Exactly. Right. And yeah. what did that, will we see that? Yeah. I mean, or? we, we, we made that record. I should yeah. say Suze did. Right. And, um, and, uh, and you know we'll see i'm not i haven't really talked to her about it what i i know that there was some talk about maybe filming it in some capacity or i'm not quite sure what's going on with that but mm-hmm. it's it will continue to have a life um and then what's next in the hit parade i mean i do you know i am really intent on getting secret life of bees happening again so that's and that's you know there's some work we have to do on that so hopefully that will that will um happen next year is there a musical style that you haven't gotten the chance to work in yet that you haven't or composed for musical theater? Um, that's a really great question. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if there is such a thing. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not. You know, the furthest I'm going to go towards country music is probably because of Win Dixie. So mm. don't don't worry about that. And and. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of another show. I mean, you know, I really do. I'm, I'm sort of a, also a closet, like 20th century classical music Mm. fan, you know, the usual suspects of Arvo Parrott and, and Philip Glass and Steve Reich and, and John Adams. And so, I mean, one day when I become an adult, like Mm. maybe I'll do something that's much more 
um, sort of in in that in that zone. Yeah. Um, Hard but, to make a musical of music like that, but maybe, maybe. yeah, because I maybe know. I mean because it's not. I what one one thing I ha- one thing I thought to do would be to do it would it wouldn't be a musical, but to do a theater piece of L'Etranger of the Camus oh, and uh-huh. and with with music like yeah. that that was I see that connection that was yeah. sort of just music and maybe movement because there's not a lot of text in that book if you if no, you read it's very it. short yeah. yeah so um that was an idea in the back of my mind but you know it's it's nascent well <laughs> well we look forward to seeing it whatever it is yeah great. Um, yeah thanks for chatting yeah great to talk to you i yeah. appreciate it That was Duncan Sheik, whose new musical adaptation of Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice is now playing at Off-Broadway's new group. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend about us. Find past episodes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Broadway Podcast Network, and anywhere else finer podcasts are dispensed. And if you've got feedback, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.